Join me in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I want to begin there tonight, and I'll warn you that uh, we're going to begin with kind of a lengthy reading, uh, most of chapter 3, but that's important because really tonight as we study, we're going to work throughout the whole chapter, so it just seems easier to get it all on the table right up front and, and read it all together as the Holy Spirit intended for it to be heard. So I'm going to start in Philippians 3, if you'll look there with me. Hang with me as we read down to verse number 16. This is Philippians 3 and verse 1. Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day. Of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Judah, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But, verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Then verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as lay, having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will also will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep striving, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have obtained. Let's stop there. Here's some language in verse number 13. That's where I want us to look first. At verse number 13, that is, that is curious to me. Right there in the middle of the verse, Paul says this. Paul says, one thing I do. And that's interesting to me. That of all people, the Apostle Paul would say, I do one thing. Because 
You're good Bible students. It's Wednesday night, the vacation week in the middle of July, and here you are sitting in a church building. So I know you're good Bible students, and you know that Paul did lots and lots of stuff. He traveled a lot, and he traveled for the Lord. He went places preaching, and he established churches, and he, he wrote letters, and he dealt with feuding brethren, and on and on and on that list could go. And yet here, here he says, yeah, but I do one thing. And I think we get that. I think we know where he's going with that. That amid all of these activities, all these things that he did, there was something underneath that that drove all the other activity. A single ambition. A single purpose. And now if you will back up to verse number 8. In verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, he tells us what that is. What it is that drives his life. What his ambition is. He said, he said I want to know Jesus. And I know that you will understand that he doesn't mean I want to just know who he is, or I want to be able to recite some historical facts about Jesus, or I'd like to, to know about some of his sermons. What Paul is saying is, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, a deep and meaningful relationship with him. I, I want to know him so that I can know what he wants from me and what he wants me to be. Because what Paul desires to do is to please him. And to live his life to his glory. And then, and then toward the end of that, he says, when the last day comes, I want to be raised up from the dead to be with him. In fact, watch that when you read his letter to the Philippians. I think this is interesting. that when Paul thinks about the backside of this life. What is to come beyond this life? His focus is not so much on being in this particular place as much as it is on being with someone, being with Jesus. And that's an idea that I think deserves to be developed more in our thinking. We think a lot about going to heaven. I don't think we think enough about being with Jesus. This is Paul's prize. This is what he wants. Because he desires to know him, to know him fully. For him, it is the one thing. And I bet it is for you too. In fact, I think if we all could just have our hearts kind of laid open here, that probably everybody sitting here tonight would acknowledge that, that one of the primary reasons I come and I do all of this stuff is because I want to know Jesus. And in the end, I want to, to be with Him. In fact, I think if you got out into the community with all these people who are not here tonight, who are either off doing something else, someplace else, if you set them down and explain this to them and ask them about what is to come after this life, I think they'd say the same thing. I, I want to be with Jesus too. So here's the thing I'd like to say to you about that. And I'll warn you in advance, this is going to be a little sharp, okay? But it's critical that we get this. It is one thing, brothers and sisters, to say that we want something. To say that we want to be with Him. It is quite another 
to pursue that as the single ambition that defines my whole existence. Those are two different things. Can I illustrate that for you? For a decade of my life, I coached Little League Baseball. And not that I know anything about coaching Little League Baseball, I was willing, and my boys played, okay? So I coached Little League Baseball. And in that work, I listened to a lot of little 10 and 12-year-old boys talk about how they wanted to be Major League Baseball players. They'd even have their heroes. They could call their names and, and say, I want to I be just like this guy. I want to you know, hit the ball just like Jordan Alvarez. You all know who that is, right? Yeah, I know. Probably not Houston people, right? Sorry about that. But, but they knew their heroes, and, and their passion was to be like their heroes. At least, at least they talked about that. The truth is, when I coached baseball, I only knew one kid who wanted it. I only knew one kid for whom it was the one thing. This kid was passionate about baseball. I mean, he's the kind of kid that when we would practice ball on a hot Florida summer afternoon, this kid, when practice was over, he would say, hey, hey, coach, hit me 10 more ground balls. I really want to work on my technique. Or, hey, I'm going to go in the cage. Help me out here. I want to I hit 10 more pitches before we go home today. He just always wanted to go more and more. And, and, he, and he'd work with a private trainer who would get them out there for hours and hours and just go through the routine of hitting the ground balls and working them at the plate. He would do that for hours and hours. And you know, we'd practice a couple of times a week, have a couple of games on, uh, during the week and on, and on the weekend he played a couple of games on Saturday and if a team was missing a player he was the first in line to volunteer to go fill in for another team and on Sunday it was travel ball he'd be driving across the state some other place playing ball he never got enough of it he always wanted more and I remember saying to Heidi I said um, you know if any of these kids out here winds up being a pro ball player it's going to be this kid in fact Somewhere we have his little seven-year-old Little League baseball card. And I said to my wife, hang on to that. That may, that may help us retire one day when he makes it big, right? And sure enough, after three years playing second base for the Auburn Tigers, the San Diego Padres drafted him into their minor league baseball organization. For him, it was the one thing. So here's my question for me and you to wrestle with tonight. I really want you to think with me about this. When I talk about wanting to know Jesus and wanting to be raised up in the end to be with him, is that just like a little kid talking about being a pro baseball player? Or is it for me the one thing that defines everything else that I do? I wanted you to think with me about that tonight and this Broader text in Philippians 3, because in doing a little research, this is the place that Johnson Oatman Jr. went to 130 years ago for his inspiration for this great hymn that we sing, Higher Ground. In fact, i got to tell you, part of the reason I immediately agreed to do this, I just love this song. I'm glad you are thinking about it. I'm glad we got to sing it 
tonight. In fact, you notice in our reading twice there in this segment, he uses the language of the song, doesn't he? Down in verse number 12. Not that I've already become perfect, but, but I press on. And then again in verse 14, but I press on toward the goal. The language is used twice in that brief, brief little segment of what we read. But I don't want us to go here just because that's where Oatman drew the idea for the song or because the language is specifically found there. What may even be more important to us is that surrounding those phrases are the pieces of the pursuit where he explains to us what is really involved in seeking Jesus to be with Jesus as the one Thing. And so it seems, since this is the first session of your summer series, that is the important place for us to start. So we want to work there for a little while this evening. Before we jump into that, Heidi and I are so happy to be with you guys tonight. Thank you to your shepherds for inviting us to come. Thank you to all of you for coming tonight. It's holiday week. A lot of distractions out there. So I know I'm talking to a, a building full of people who want to be like Jesus. They want to be with him. That's exciting tonight to be able to preach to a crowd like that. We got to our hotel room, and uh, boy, there was a bag there loaded with lots of good stuff. My wife pulled out the water bottles and said, this is all you get. She's a little uptight about my diet, but I promise you I'm going to sneak some of the other stuff when she isn't looking. But thank you for that. That just makes us feel so welcome when uh, you walk into the hotel room and there's something like that waiting for you. But, uh, but what a privilege to, uh, to be part of the summer series and to get to kick it off with you tonight. So let's think about pursuing this prize as the one thing. Notice three statements that I think help define exactly what that looks like. Let me put those on the slide for you. The first one I want us to look at is this one. Paul says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. That language is in verse number 13. Do you see it there? Before he says one thing I do, he says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But if you back up, he really says something very similar in verse 12, because there he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. You know, when I read those two statements, I get this sense that Paul is not satisfied with where he is. Do you hear that in his words? He is dissatisfied with his current circumstances, which seems kind of odd because he's going to go on in this letter to say, I have learned to be satisfied with whatever my circumstances are. So maybe if we were in the church of Philippi and we've got this letter, we're thinking, make up your mind, Paul. Are you content or aren't you? And the answer to that question is, well, yes and no. 
I think when he says he's content no matter what his circumstances, he's talking about he's talking about this stuff that pertains to this life. It's like it's like having food and having clothes and having shelter. He said, you know, I spent some time where I've had plenty of that stuff, and I've been in some circumstances where I didn't have a lot of that stuff. You know what I've learned? I've just learned to be content with whatever I find myself with in terms of worldly stuff. But when it came to his pursuit of the prize, that is not how he felt at all. He was dissatisfied because he wasn't where he wanted to be. He wanted to know Jesus. And he had come to know Jesus better over the years that he had been a disciple, but he realized he realized there was so much more to learn. You know, that's the really tough thing about growing old as a Christian. You would think that... Uh, that as you got to the back end of your life, you would just get to that place where you think, yep, I'm almost done. I think I've learned about everything there is to learn as a Christian. You know the weird thing is, folks? 60 is coming at me like a freight train, freight train through a, uh, let me say this, a freight train through a tunnel, right? I mean, I mean, I am quickly getting there. And I got to tell you, what I've learned over the years is the more I come to understand what's in the Word of God, the more I realize how much I don't know, how much I need to keep working and studying. And I think that's kind of where Paul is. The more he learns, the more he realizes how much he wants to learn. And I think, really, if you back up to chapter 1, he realizes that it won't be until he's with him that he's really going to know him. This is one of the more familiar places in Philippians. In chapter 1, will you look there in verse 21? Philippians 1, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I don't know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Listen to this. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. But to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And so he says, I really feel like I'm being tugged in two different directions. What I really want, he says. Notice, it's not what I really want is to go to heaven. You see that? That's not what he said. He said, what I really want is to be with Jesus. It's about who he's going to be with, not where he's going to be. That's where his focus is. What I really want is to be with Jesus, because when I'm with him, then I will really know him. But he said, I kind of feel like God needs me to hang out here for a little while. I've got some things to do. He said, while he's on earth, hear me on this. While he's on earth, he's not where he wants to be. Do you see that? In fact, later in chapter 3 and verse 20, he will describe himself as an alien living in a foreign land. I'm not home yet. Not where I want to be. And so there is this profound sense of dissatisfaction he carries as he lives his life here on earth. So let's pause there for a second and think about the way you and I pursue the prize. I wonder, do we long to know Jesus the way that Paul did? I think that uh, if we do, that will evidence itself in some, some really practical ways, my desire to know him. It will 
it will be reflected in the time we spend listening to him, the time we spend reading the book. That's the only way to know it, folks. And it'll be reflected in our passion and our desire for, for gatherings like this. I think it is telling that some have to be lured back to an assembly with catchy sermon titles and pleas from the pulpit. Please come back tonight. Please come back next Sunday. Or warnings from the shepherds. Hey, you know, you really, you really ought to be at services. Frankly, folks, if that's what it takes to get me back here, then my life is not about one thing. You know what ought to excite me and lure me back to this church building? Someone getting up saying, on Wednesday we're going to be talking about Jesus. How to know him better. That's all I need to know. Because that's what I want. That's what my life is all about. And so if that's a struggle for me, it probably is an indicator that my life is not, is not about one thing. And then secondly, do we long to be with Jesus? So much so that while we're here, we just feel out of place, like we're, not, like we're not at home, strangers living in a foreign land. About a decade ago, Heidi and I got our children off the payroll and out of our house. And so we started traveling because we could. And we've been to some cool places together. Last year, we... Uh, we hiked the south side of Mount Rainier, and from the back side of that could see the Mount St. Helens crater. It is, it is extraordinary. And I love traveling and seeing beautiful places like that. Because frankly, folks, even though I think that, uh, that Texas is God's home zip code, I got to tell you, Texas is ugly and hot. And if it wasn't for the Mexican food, I would live somewhere else. But... Uh, I have a good friend that lives in the ugliest part of Texas, and frankly, he's got enough money to live anywhere he wants to. And I asked him one time, why do you live here? Why don't you go build a mansion in Colorado and live in the mountains? You know what this guy said to me? This is home. It's where I want to be. And I feel that way too when I travel. I get on the road for a few weeks, and I tell you what, I want my bed I want my coffee machine. I want my chair. I want to be home. And I just wonder if we live this life with that same kind of sense of dissatisfaction. I am not home here. I would tell you to change everything about the way we see our stuff. I think the problem is, folks, that we're putting down roots right now instead of living like aliens and strangers in a foreign country. I think... Seeking to be with Jesus as the one thing means that all the time I am here, I am dissatisfied. Because I am not where I want to be. Okay, I can go on and on with that. But i got to show you something else. Because there's something else that he says. Look at this phrase. This comes after one thing I do. He says, forgetting what lies behind. Do you see that in verse number 13? That's what he says next. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. I do think that 
that the, the pursuit of the prize requires that you and I leave some things in our past. Now, this is another reason we read a sizable portion of Philippians 3, because Paul talked about that too, right? If you look at chapter 3 and verse 4, in fact, look at verses 4, 5, and 6. He talks about all the advantages that he had as a Jew, and they were numerous. He had the perfect Jewish pedigree. And you know what he said about all that? To have Christ, I had to leave all that behind. I had to give all that up. He says, I count that as loss. In fact, the language, if I go to verse number 8, is even more brutal than that. He said, I count all that as rubbish. What are literally saying there? As excrement. I mean, he is plain that that is nothing to me in view the value of having Christ. I had to leave all that behind. To have Jesus. Which stirs up my mind and makes me wonder. Are there things that you and I have to leave behind to pursue the prize? How about that, about that former life? That person we used to be. You know, I have found that sometimes new disciples struggle to walk with Jesus because they keep looking back. They look back, they look back longingly on the life that they used to live. And then as they keep looking back, suddenly they find themselves back, back in that same crowd and, and then back at those same places and then back in those same behaviors that got their lives in a mess to start with. Yeah, we just can't do that. It seems to me that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. I want to go away from Philippians only for a brief minute. In Romans 6, in verse 1, Paul is answering this objection. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Maybe I should just be really, really wicked so God can really, really be gracious. But look at Paul's answers in verse 2. He says, may it never be. How could you say such a silly thing? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? You see that? I can't go back there because I died to all of that. In fact, the language that he goes on to use in Romans 6 is, is, is that in baptism, I crucified the old man. He was put to death. I can never go back to that. I have been running for 33 years. I started running when my wife was pregnant with our oldest son, so the time is set in my brain. And I have learned the hard way that uh, if you're going to run, you've got to look straight ahead of you, okay? Because you start looking around or looking behind you, that does not work out well. I've got the bruises to prove that. I was out jogging one day. I had to cross. Roger, I had to cross this big street in Beaumont where I was living. Two lanes either way. So four lanes and a big espinade. Lots of traffic. And my concern was I don't want to get run over by a car. And so as I approached this intersection, I looked to my, I looked to my left first 
to see if anyone was coming. So literally, as I'm jogging out into the street, I'm looking to see if any cars are coming. And then I got about halfway across, and I turned my head to look to the right because now I got to cross two more lanes coming from the other direction. And, and so you've noticed what I'm not doing. I'm not looking in front of me. And just about the time I got to the middle of that street, my contention is that the, the pavement was uneven, Okay. That's what I'm going to say about it. But i got to tell you, folks, I just smacked right down face first on that concrete. I mean, I went down in the middle of the road all the way to the ground. And I'm laying there thinking, get up! Cars are coming! And then I thought, I'm not sure I can. And so I finally got myself up off the ground and got out of the roadway so I wouldn't get run over by a car. What happened? I wasn't looking at where I was supposed to go. If you're going to run the race, you've got to look in front of you and see where you're going. Start looking around. It'll get you in trouble. And that's the same thing in this race too, folks. You start looking back on the old life or start looking around longingly at the world, it's going to get you into trouble. It's kind of like getting married. Maybe some of you had dating relationships before you chose to marry this one, right? When I was growing up, you will understand this. When we were growing up, um, guys carried pictures in their wallet, right? They're those plastic things. And even if you broke up, if she was cute, you still carried the picture. So, so when you went, got, met guys that were dating, you could say, well, this is who I used today, right? You could at least do that. But, uh, but then you pick the one. And, and what you had to do when I was growing up is when, when you pick the one, like, like I did, um, I had to empty all those other pictures out of my wallet. I, I don't even know what the guys have to do. They have to go back and purge social media. That must take like a month to get rid of the pictures of the other girls that they dated. But, uh, hey, but you got to do that, right? You know, I know some people that have gotten into adultery-level trouble because they got on social media and they started looking back at some old flames. I'll tell you folks, you want a happy marriage. You can't do that. And if you want to run this race, you can't look, at what, look around. You've got to stay focused on the prize. I've got to forget what's behind me. Maybe that means forgetting that old life. Maybe it means forgetting my past mistakes. Do you guys know anybody that is so debilitated over some foul-up Earlier in their life, they just can't get on and live today. I know some people like that. They just grieved over their failure. And, and, and look, God wants us to, to be grieved over our mistakes, and he wants us to learn from them. But he doesn't want us to be debilitated by them. And so for some of us, before we can go on, we've got to untether ourselves from those mistakes of the past. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe what's holding me up is I'm, I'm too focused on my past victories. Listen, it's great to win a lost soul. It's great to have a growing congregation, see the numbers grow up. It's great to be victorious over a struggle. But i got to tell you what this Christian life is like. It's like as soon as we get to this spot where we think Think we've reached a plateau? There's more mountain ahead of us to climb. So let me tell you what we do with our victories. Celebrate them. And then get up and move on. Because there's more work to do. Always more to be done. And I can't let my victories distract me from the work that I have to do. And so for all of us, running this race means 
forgetting some stuff, leaving it behind us. But notice, there's another phrase that follows right after that. Forgetting what lies behind and, he says, reaching forward to what lies ahead. And I did a little reading about that language that is used there. That is, that is runner language that he's using there. It envisions a runner competing in a race as he's nearing the finish line. Maybe you guys have watched a running race in the Olympics. These guys that are super strong and super fast. And I mean, they're just all running neck and neck. And as they get close to the tape, you know what they do, right? They lean in to be the first one to cross the line. What do you think is going through their mind at that moment? I don't think they're thinking about anything except reaching the finish line before the next guy, right? Just consumed with focus on that. I remember running a race one time. And I am not real fast, okay? But I was running behind a, a young lady, a lot younger than me, who was like drinking a latte while she was running. That was really embarrassing. And I thought, I am not losing to a girl drinking a latte while she's running the race, okay? So I got to tell you, man, I just doubled down. And, and though I thought I was dying, which is what happens every time I run a race, I, I, I said, I'm going to finish before her. And that's all I'm thinking about. I'm heading for that finish line to get there before she does. Paul is saying, that is how I pursue the prize. This desire to know Jesus and to be with Him was not an idle curiosity. It's not something that crossed across the, the, the thoughts of his mind when he was gathered with disciples on Sunday. It was the single, it was the single desire that consumed every day. It was underneath everything, drove everything else going on in his life. So when I thought about that, I thought about this poor gazelle who is being pursued by the cheetah. Will you look at that poor guy? I looked at that picture and I thought, I wonder, I wonder what he's thinking about. Right then. What do you think's on his mind? Do you think his eyes are glancing over to the right and he sees some of his buddies at the drinking hole and he says, I need to go, I need to go have some water with my friends? Or do you think maybe he's looking over to his left, he sees a beautiful field for grazing, and he's thinking to himself, I need to come back and I need to do some grazing in that field over there. What do you think is going through his mind right at this moment. I think we know, don't we? You know what I think is on his mind? Cheetah! That's what I think is on his mind. And I think that's all that he's thinking about. Right in that moment. So you got the picture. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I 
press on. I think, I think our struggles betray us. I think that sometimes the things that we wrestle with, however the struggle comes out, just the fact that we're wrestling exposes that our lives are not really about one thing. Can I be plain about this? I mean, if you have had a Sunday night in, in late January where you have struggled Super Bowl worship. I mean, if you've had a moment where you were deciding. See, the fact that you have to decide, folks, is telling. It's revealing. I do not have my mind centered on that one thing. I am not pursuing the prize as the only thing else that matters to me in my life. Do you see it? I hear it in people's moral struggles. I get so frustrated when disciples wrestling with moral questions come to me. I bet, but this happens to you too, Roger. I get you people to do this to you too. Say, say, tell me why that is wrong. Tell me why I can't do that. When I hear somebody say that, I think their life isn't about one thing. You know how I know that? Because they're asking the wrong questions. This is people that are pursuing the prize as the one thing in their life, don't say, prove to me that's wrong. In their brain, they're saying, okay, now wait a minute. Is this something that's going to help me know Jesus better? Is this going to help me live for him? Will this help bring him glory in the way that I live my life? Is this something that in the end is going to contribute to me being raised to be with him in the end? And if not, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want any part of that. I think sometimes we see it in the way we're bringing up our kids. Can I talk plain with you all about this? I'm headed out of town tomorrow. I guess, you know, I can just go quick. But I got to tell you, folks, I see moms and dads consumed with homework and school projects, or I see moms and dads consumed with sports. But if you ask them, what's your kid studying in Bible class this Wednesday? And what was he supposed to do before he came to class to be ready for it? They wouldn't know. So if you know your 10-year-old's little league batting average, but you don't know what he's studying in class on Sunday morning, your life isn't about one thing. Worse than that. You're training your kids to care more about math and volleyball and band than to care about being raised to glory. Sometimes what we wrestle with is telling the story. Pursuing the prize, brothers and sisters, requires single hearted devotion to one thing. 
Paul was not satisfied. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, here's what my life is all about. Forgetting what lies behind. I'm not going to let what happened in the past become an obstacle to me moving forward. Reaching forward to what lies ahead. Stretching with all my passion and ambition. I want this one thing. I press on toward the prize. You will sing this song eight more times. And I hope as you do, and you think about those words, I press on, that you'll ponder these pieces that define that journey. Let's pray together. What a blessing, Father, to consider your servant Paul and his passion for the prize. May we pursue it as he did and as you intended. Please don't let the past be an obstacle to us, nor let us be distracted by the things around us, but to seek to be with your Son as the only thing that truly matters in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your good attention tonight.